speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over on. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace we'll stand on your promises, and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built, and the earth is filled with your glory. You may be seated. enjoy putting that on in front of all of you. All right, hope this thing is on. There we go. I really enjoy uh, this thing. 
And uh, we're in Daniel chapter 5 as we're at. If you don't have your Bible with you, there is a Bible in front of you on the pew. And uh, it is, starts on page 742. 742 uh, for Daniel chapter 5. Hope you guys had a good afternoon and glad we can be back together tonight. Uh, Daniel chapter 5 as we continue our study in the book of Daniel. Uh, the application of Daniel 5 is extremely easy. Here it is. All right. Here's the point that you need to take with you uh, from the lesson tonight. Don't miss an opportunity to humble yourself because if you do, God will not. Don't miss an opportunity to humble yourself because if you miss that opportunity, God will not miss that opportunity and he will humble you. Absolutely. Daniel 4 and 5 are very similar stories about two different kings in Babylon. Uh, one is humbled. You'll remember uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's humbled to the point like he's, he becomes like a wild beast and for some amount of time he's out uh, living in, in, the, in the wild, eating grass, having the dew fall upon him. And it says, until such a time as you recognize that the power lies within heaven and when he does that he comes back to his senses and he comes back to the kingdom and remains king uh, for some time after that Uh, in Daniel chapter 5 we read of another king Belshazzar uh, not to be confused with Belteshazzar which is Daniel's Babylonian name Uh, but Belshazzar is king at this point uh, and he does not take the opportunity to humble himself as a matter of fact he uh, does the exact opposite of that and because of that uh, his life ends relatively quickly uh, in Daniel chapter 5. So the application, extremely important, uh, extremely applicable for us, extremely easy to understand. Uh, But if you've ever studied the book of Daniel uh, or if you've heard sermons from the book of Daniel, a lot of them probably stop around chapter 5. And there's 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. And the reason for that is, is because Daniel 5, especially the end of the chapter, the very last line of the chapter as a matter of fact, Throughout the rest of the book, things get a little complicated. Okay, so we're going to talk about it tonight, not just the application. I want you to take that application home with you. Don't miss an opportunity to humble yourself because if you do, God will not. God will humble you if you do not humble yourselves. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves so that God can lift you up. The Bible is full of admonitions and encouragements for us to humble ourselves in the presence of God and to live humble lives, okay? So a very important application, but we need to think about um, some, some details that Daniel chapter 5 introduces that if we don't get them now, we will miss a lot going forward, okay? And I do not claim to be an expert on this, but I have studied what a lot of experts on this have said, and so I'm going to try my best to present it to you in a way that we can understand it initially, and it will be a definite blessing to us going forward. Uh, to start with, the book of Daniel is not written as a history book. But it does include some historical facts about Babylon. Now there's a difference though, right? It's not written as a history book, which means it doesn't have to make sense to us historically. Generally, probably I guess Western thought or certainly our American culture, when we think about histories being told, we think in a very chronological order. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And we see parts of the Bible like that, right? You know, think about all those laundry lists of, of this person begat this person and they had this many children and they begat this person and it's very chronological and we understand that. Some of the Gospels are written chronologically. Some of the Gospels are not written chronologically, right? Uh, and, and Daniel is not a history book, but it includes a lot of information that is important historically to Babylon and to Israel. 
we, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt. You look at Daniel chapter 5, uh, Belshazzar is the king. Uh, in Daniel chapter uh, 6, it's a, it's a different king. And then Daniel chapter 7 and 8, it goes back to Belshazzar. And Daniel chapter 5 seems to be the end of Belshazzar's reign. Later on, it goes to the first year of Belshazzar's reign. So if you're not aware of that, and you're not, you know, okay, let me pay attention to this, it would be very easy for you to come to this book of Daniel when he's talking about this foreign king and he's talking about all these different kings, it would be very easy for you to get confused. And some people have gotten so confused that they begin to doubt the accuracy of the book of Daniel. And that's, it, that's, that's a problem, right? Because if we doubt the historical aspects of the book of Daniel, then that means that it's not inerrant or it is, it is not without error. And if the book is not without error in one area, could it also be, could it also have areas in errors in other areas? Okay? Uh, the point being, uh, there are some books of the Bible that are historical books. They are history books. They tell the history of the Israelites. Uh, the book of Acts tells the early history of the church. Okay? The, the people, the places, the things, they need to be at the very least, if not proven, they need to be thus far not disproven, okay? Or in really, and at any point, not be able to be disproven, okay? But many of the facts historically can be, have been, and, or maybe in the future, proven that these things are true. And that'll play in a little bit to what we talk and think about uh, tonight. So we're going to walk through it. Uh, we may read every verse, we may not. Again, you, you hopefully you've already got the takeaway, okay? Again, the takeaway is... Humble yourself. Don't miss an opportunity to humble yourself because if you do, God will not. God will humble the proud in this life and even in the life uh, to come, certainly. But let's think about this uh, and consider this the first line. We're going to have to just read it and then talk about it quite a bit before we even move on, okay? Uh, Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Okay, well, again, in, in chapter 4, we ended with Nebuchadnezzar as king, and now there's a new king, okay? That's noteworthy, Okay, that should grab your attention when you're reading this book. There's something different going on here. Uh, and unlike other parts of history in the Bible, unlike other um, uh, areas or peoples, we have a great deal of the, the written history of the Babylonians. So we can look to this and we can see, okay, well, we know not just, not from, not from what the Bible says, because the Bible doesn't address it, because the Bible doesn't address it because Daniel is not a history book. Daniel isn't writing this book for us to understand the history of the Babylonians. He's writing this book with historical facts from Babylon. There's a difference there, right? So we look at this and we say, okay, wait a second, Daniel. What's going on? And, and we need to know this because about 20 years or so has passed between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. And not only has 20 years passed, but around four to five kings have passed. Some of these, after Nebuchadnezzar, you remember Daniel uh, chapter 2, uh, the vision of the, the statue, the golden head, and, and they, they keep getting less and less and less. Remember Babylon and uh, Nebuchadnezzar specifically, he was the golden head. He was the, the best of the kingdom. Well, after his death, which happens at some point between Daniel 4 and 5, after his death, uh, the woes come quickly for Babylon. And they have some kings that reign for a few years. They have some kings that reign for a few months. They have some kings that are deposed by uh, military coups. They have some kings that are assassinated. Uh, the, 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 the hits come hard very quickly after Nebuchadnezzar's death. He was the man, and nobody challenged who he was. 
But once he was gone, everybody challenged, okay, well, who's the next guy? Okay, so this is what has happened. 20 years, four to five kings uh, have, have come and gone, and now Bel- Belshazzar uh, is king, and he's holding this great feast. Um, now, later on, it's going to say uh, that Belshazzar's father is who? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, well, there's a slight issue with that. It's not wrong, but it's not exactly the way that we generally think about it, okay? And, and here's another reason as we, as we peel, you know, back some, some, some background things. These are things, this is why it's important for us to understand not just what the Bible says, but the history that's going on during the times of what the Bible says. Because the fact is, Nebuchadnezzar was not the blood father of Belshazzar. He wasn't. He wasn't in, in, the, in the lineage even, perhaps. So what does it mean when later on the queen will come back and say, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, and twice, two or three times just in this one chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is named as the father of Belshazzar. What does that mean? Well, we know from Babylonian history uh, that Belshazzar's father by blood was a name whose name I'm going to butcher, uh, Nabonidus, Nabonidus. We'll say that. I'm going to call him Nabon for short because that's a lot easier. Okay, his father was, was Nabon. Um, and he was probably one of the, the guys who came very quickly after Nebuchadnezzar. But there was an issue. Okay, well, first of all, Nabon is alive in Daniel chapter 5. Well, wouldn't Nabon be the king? But Daniel chapter 5 says that Belshazzar is the king. What's, what's the problem here? Again, there's, there's another issue. And these are, these are issues that people who are looking to, either some who are nefariously looking to discredit the Bible, they would say, well, this isn't right historically. This isn't right. This isn't right. And there are some people who are legitimately trying to understand what the Bible teaches, and they have questions about this. This doesn't make sense to me because I look at Babylonian history and it doesn't line up with what uh, the book of Daniel says. And again, we have to remind them, remind ourselves, Daniel's not writing this as a history book. He's writing this as a book that has some of the history of the Babylonians, okay? Uh, so Nabon, what's the deal with, uh, with Nabon being there uh, and being the king of, of Babylon, of the Babylonian empire, uh, but not being king in Babylon, as it says Belteshazzar, or Belshazzar is here? Um, Historically, we can look and we, we understand that, you know, the Babylonians didn't just record on this date this happened. They recorded the culture of the situation. Uh, so, so Nabon was a, a follower of the moon goddess of the Babylonians. Her name was Sin, ironically. Uh, while Nebuchadnezzar and the priesthood of Babylon touted and followed uh, Narduk, uh, which was an, another one of their gods and their, uh, their pantheon of gods. Okay, so, so what happened was that while Nabon was king, he was at odds with the more powerful religious group in and around Babylon itself, Babylon the city. And so perhaps he was kicked out, perhaps to avoid problem, whatever it was, he went and he ruled from a, a desert oasis, okay? Uh, in a very, uh, a very, a paradise type of area, but he ruled in a different place because of his religious differences with the most powerful religious people in Babylon. And he was still king. And we'll, we'll notice that scripture does address that in Daniel chapter 5. Okay? He was still king, but in Babylon, the one who was in charge was Belshazzar. He was the most powerful man in the city of Babylon. 
which is really the, the historical context of what's happening. We're not talking so much in Daniel 5 about the empire of the Babylonians. We're talking about the city of Babylon. The things that are going to happen here are happening to the city of Babylon. And in his eyes, or in the people's eyes who lived in Babylon, Belshazzar was the king. He was the one who had the rule. Now, that sounds odd. Certainly, it does. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Different governments in today's world are, are odd, aren't they? Different than what we think about. But even in our government, we have something that could be similar to this. Uh, you're aware that if the President of the United States uh, undergoes anesthesia, what happens? Well, he's stripped of his presidential powers, right? And those powers are given to the Vice President for a time. Or if the President of the United States was somehow to become lost and we didn't know where he was, and we lost contact with him, well, he would be officially stripped of his power, and his power as the president would be given to the vice president until such time the president could be located. Well, that's different, but similar to what's happening here. Uh, Belshazzar is, is holding this position of rule. He is, in all purposes, he is in power, uh, the king of the city and the area of Babylon. You'll remember that uh, in Daniel chapter 2 that uh, Nebuchadnezzar sets up uh, different governors of different areas. Daniel is one of those, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego helped him in the province of Babylon. They had states, kind of like we had states. They called them provinces, uh, kind of like the, uh, the Canadians do. Uh, so it would be as if, in, in all intents and purposes, Belshazzar would have been recognized and seen as king by those who lived in and around Babylon. So is it odd? Yes, it is. And it's only going to get more odd, okay? Just to give you a heads up, the rest of the book of Daniel, there's some strange stuff, and it's not the most easy thing to just read and to automatically understand. Thankfully, there are lots of the parts of the Bible that we can just read and know exactly what God it means. But there are parts of the Bible where God, for whatever reason, He's going to make us dig not only into the, his book, but also into the history of what's going on for us to really understand what's going on. So yes, it's odd. And if we just read it by ourselves and didn't think about any other things, then we would be confused. But it is explainable. And that's important, okay? If it, if it was unexplainable or if there were other facts that were established secularly that were at odds with what the Bible said, that's when we would have a problem. But that's not the case here. It is odd. It is different. It doesn't make, me make a whole lot of sense to us, but in some ways we can probably understand it as well. So, Belshazzar, uh, the king who's not really the king, he's really the prince, but he's in power in Babylon. He's throwing a party, right? He's having a feast, and it says for thousands. And again, there's another one of those things that does it literally mean he's throwing a feast for a thousand people? Maybe, but more likely he's throwing a party for all the most powerful people. He's throwing a really big party, okay? Uh, I've held some birthday parties before for Riley, and there have been more people there than I really want to be, but there haven't been a 1,000 people. The point is, there are a lot of people at this party, okay? And it's a big deal, all right? They're throwing a big party. Verse 2, uh, when Belshazzar tasted the wine, okay? So they bring in the wine as they, they would at such a party. Uh, he said to bring the gold and silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them, okay? So he, he's throwing a party in the midst of the revelry. Uh, we don't know exactly how many drinks he's had at this point. We don't know if he's drunk yet or if he's just drunk with power, but one of the ways he's drunk one way or the other, and he says, hey, let's go grab these, these vessels from the, the God of the Hebrews, okay? And, and probably not, that, well, this is what we have recorded, but per, per, perhaps we know that the Babylonians have conquered many such temples 
in their empire. Uh, likely, he is calling upon, hey, bring the Hebrew gods, you know, uh, ta- uh, goblets, bring this goblets, bring this god's goblets, bring them all. We're going to use them all, and, and that will make even more sense, I think, as we go forward, okay? So he's, he's having a party. Um, let me, let me just back up really briefly uh, to, to point out another thing uh, about Belshazzar and about the history, history of it. Uh, in 1850, uh, because of this uh, supposed contradiction of the Bible of, you know, well, Belshazzar, he wasn't really the, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar couldn't have been king because Nabon was king, uh, that, that, that idea got so prominent that in 1850 uh, there were historical uh, historians uh, who, who decided to declare, well, uh, Belshazzar is just a fictional character. Okay, now what's the problem with saying, what's the potential problem for us as Christians in saying, well, Belshazzar, as the Bible talks about him as a historical figure, he's just a made-up fictional figure. Well, if you can do that for Belshazzar, you can do that for anybody in the Bible, right? Even Jesus. Okay, so a big problem there, okay? But the point is, up to 1850, okay, so 170 or so years ago, if my math is right, which it may not be, uh, but recent times, people thought, this is just a fictional character. Well, in the following years, in 1854 and following, there have actually been some 37 texts that support Belshazzar and his, his rule as the son in the absence of the king. So there was this, this declaration made by this prominent historian that says, Belshazzar, he's just a fictional character that the writers of the Bible just, just made up. And then shortly after that, there have been, uh, through continued excavations and continued archaeology, there have been not only... Uh, texts that have said that someone named Belshazzar existed, not only that he was in power, but specifically mentioning that he was ruling over the province of Babylon in his father's absence while his father was in this other place ruling from this desert oasis. So when we read the Bible, I, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that because when we read the Bible and we have questions or other people have questions about the historical accuracy of it, just because we haven't found it yet doesn't mean we won't find it. In 1850, there was no secular evidence that Belshazzar was a real person. Just a few years later, there was a lot of evidence that he was a real person. Uh, God provided that, and we can take that uh, and and have that comfort as well. So, he's throwing a big party. Um, And uh, it's easy for us to think, well, this is just some spoiled rich kid throwing a party, right? Right? You know, he, he's, he's, uh, he's too big for his britches. He's got all his thousands of friends and they're just having this big party and they've got the wine and, and they've just, they're, they're raiding the, the temples, uh, with, with these goblets and he's just, he's just having a good time. And, and certainly there, there may have been, uh, some part of that, but historically, and again, this is why these things are important that we know these things. Belshazzar and those thousands of people, they know they know that an attack against the city of Babylon is imminent. They know that it's coming. Because in just the days prior to this, uh, and this is, how, this is how specific the Babylonian history is that backs up what the Bible says. We know what date this probably happened on. This party was probably thrown on October 12th in the year 539. It's that specific. 
We know exactly when this was probably, you know, maybe give or take a couple of days, but we know a general idea of exactly when this party happened. And we know that because uh, the, the Persians, who are going to be the next power, the Medes and the Persians, uh, they have their history about their attacking Babylon and the things that happened previous, and the Babylonians had their history as well. In the, in the days right before this, uh, two Babylonian cities had been captured. Their army, their greatest, largest part of their army, had been defeated, and Nabon is on the run. Okay, so the king is on the run. Now, you still have Belshazzar who's acting as king in this area, but we know historically these things are happening. So what's, what is this party about? It's not just some spoiled rich kid throwing a party. I don't think it's even, the way the Bible presents it, it's not even, well, this is our last hurrah. You know, we're about to be defeated, uh, so we better have a good time while we can. No, it is him and his people and probably his priest and his religious leaders calling on the name of his gods, maybe calling on the name of the God of the Hebrews, maybe calling on the name of all the other gods of, of the people who they've conquered and saying, hey, it's time for you to help us. It's time for you uh, to, to stand up and to help us as we are about to be um, attacked. Probably the, the most likely thought process that might have been going on would have been Belshazzar and his cohorts reminding their god whichever god there was in their pantheon of gods or maybe all of their gods saying hey you remember that you helped us conquer the israelites right these are the goblets that we took from their temple as they drunk them right you helped us to conquer these people now there's another foe another god is coming to conquer your people it's time for you to stand up and to fight for us that's probably now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us right but we're not idolaters okay we, we don't live that kind of life. We don't think that God works in that kind of way. That would have been a thought process that they would have had. So it's not just, it may be partially, but it's not just some spoiled rich kid having a party. It's them calling upon their God or even calling upon other gods to say, hey, we're about to be attacked. We know this is coming. Please come and help us. All right, verse, uh, verse 3. Then they brought out the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drink from them. Uh, they drink the wine and praise the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Okay, so there's, there's where they're, they're reaching out to these other gods. They're praising the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. They're calling out to these gods and begging them for help because they know this. Verse 5, um, and again, it's an odd story. It's not very, maybe very much odder than people being thrown into a lion's den and not being eaten or thrown into a fiery furnace and not being burned alive. But it's an odd story. But the application of this passage is very easy. What is it again? Hum, don't miss an opportunity to humble yourself because if you do, God won't. Okay? Here's the opportunity that Belshazzar had to humble himself. Suddenly, as they're in this drunken state, this partying state, this calling out to all these gods kind of uh, situation, suddenly the fingers of a man's hand came out and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the splendor of the king's face changed and his thoughts uh, alarmed him and his hip joints were slack, went slack and his knees were knocking against each other. Then the king called out loudly to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. The king answered and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read the writing and declare its interpretation to me uh, shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and rule at, rule with power as third in the kingdom. Okay, so, so again, there's a lot to unpack here uh, historically and biblically. Uh, so all of a sudden out of the blue, uh, a floating hand shows up 
okay? You've seen the Adams family, and there's the, the hand. There's a floating hand, and it shows up. And it doesn't say it has a pencil or a, a, you know, I don't know how it's writing, but it's writing on the wall, and we'll get to that part here in a minute, okay? Uh, so, so, of course, that is interesting. When it says in verse 5 uh, that, uh, that the hand began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall, when archaeologists uh, found what was likely this room, uh, they found it exactly this way. The wall was made of plaster, and it would have been opposite of where they likely would have put a lampstand. Again, we, this, this is not a book of history, but it is a book that uses the history to help us to understand things, and archaeology only continues to prove to us the truths uh, of God's word, and that's important to us. Uh, so in verse 6, uh, the splendor of the king's face. So he's having a good time. He's happy. The splendor of the king's face is changed. Okay, he's very concerned, he's very worried, uh, and, and his, his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees were knocking against each other. He was scared. Now, we, we, we uh, imagine and have seen cartoons or that sort of thing about knees knocking together and being afraid. Uh, it's, it's interesting here that the phrase, his hip joints went slack, literally means the knots of his loins were loosened. What does that mean? He needed new underwear. Okay, uh, he had an accident. He was that scared. He was terribly frightened, as you would be if a hand just started showing up writing on the wall, right? You'd be scared out of your mind, and he was scared uh, out of his mind, okay? He calls uh, all the wise men, as Nebuchadnezzar had done in previous chapters, and says, hey, uh, if you can declare to me what this says and what it means, I'll clothe you with purple, and, and I'll make you third in the kingdom. Why third in the kingdom? Well, he's not first in the kingdom, right? Remember, he's not the king. Again, pointing to the fact that while it seems as if initially, well, that doesn't make sense. He's not the king. Nabon is king. But then it it says the very same thing. Nabon's king. I'm second in command, so you'll be right behind me. Okay? So the things that seem to be contradiction, the Bible addresses them later on if we'll stick with them and we can uh, understand and appreciate that. Uh, in verse 8, they all come in, and of course they can't do that. Uh, then Belshazzar, verse 9, uh, he's greatly alarmed and the splendor of his face changed further, so he's getting even more frightened, even more afraid, uh, and the nobles uh, were perplexed. Uh, and then the queen entered the banquet hall uh, because of the words of the king and his nobles, and the queen answered and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts uh, alarm you or the splendor of your face be changed, okay? Just a, a, an important note to say here, uh, the queen uh, is not one of his wives or concubines, it's his mother, okay? It's Nabon's wife. She's the queen, okay? That's why she, when, when the wives and concubines were listed earlier, now she comes to the party because she hears what's going on, and now she shows up. She hasn't been there, so she's not uh, the, the queen, or she is the queen, the, the others were not the queen. Uh, but then notice what she says, verse 11, There is a man in your kingdom in whom there is a spirit of the holy gods. You may remember that phrase, spirit of the holy gods. Nebuchadnezzar says that about Daniel. And now the queen is also going to say that about Daniel. In the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom. Listen to this. He's talking about this man who we know as Daniel. Uh, In the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, set him as chief of the magistrates, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. Again, uh, why does she say that uh, Nebuchadnezzar is uh, his father? Well, Again, this, it doesn't make sense to us. This isn't the way we would say it, okay? This isn't the way we would say it. But not just in Babylonian culture, but in other historical cultures, this simply could mean not blood father, but your predecessor. 
someone who came before you. And so that's likely the way she, I mean, she's his mom. She knows who his dad is. Okay. And she knows it's not Nebuchadnezzar. So she is talking about the one who came before you. Uh, Father Abraham. The Jews did it too, right? Father Abraham. Don't think that you can have Abraham as your father and that will get you to heaven, Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, okay? So this is not unique. It's just different than the way we talk today, okay? Uh, and then notice what it says. Um, so he's already said, she has already said about uh, Daniel, uh, illumination, insight, and wisdom of the gods was found in him. Look at verse 12. Uh, this was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. So she says, hey, you need to call Daniel, and Daniel can help you, but I just think it's really neat. You know, we think about Daniel, we know that he can interpret dreams, but he must have been a really smart guy right? We know that from Daniel chapter 1, because when he was tested, he and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were found to be more wise and more strong and, and better at everything than all the other people who were training. But again, here, you know, not only is he a dream interpreter, but he can, he can, he can solve puzzles. He can solve enigmas. He's a really smart guy. And that's probably why he's able to be at some point involved with the kingship uh, for some 70 years. Okay, he's there for some 70 years, able to be a part of this leadership. Okay, let's go down to verse 13. Uh, Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel uh, who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought to Judah? I think we noticed uh, either last chapter or the chapter before that there was an affection. uh, Nebuchadnezzar had an affection for Daniel, and Daniel had an affection for Nebuchadnezzar. There was a relationship. There was some caring there. Here we see something different. Hey, are you that Daniel who's one of those exiles from Jerusalem? There's no relationship here. This is probably the first time that Belshazzar has called Daniel. Somebody else has to remind him about who Daniel is. Nebuchadnezzar would have needed no reminding. I've got this question. I've got this problem. I know who can answer it. Go get me Daniel. That would have been Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Belshazzar doesn't even think about the guy. He calls all the other, all the, all the other wise men, but he doesn't think about him. Uh, verse 14, he, he reminds him, I've heard that you can uh, do some things. Can you do this for me? Uh, verse 15, uh, the wise men and the conjurers, I brought them and they couldn't do it. Verse 16, uh, but I have personally heard about you, that you're able to give interpretation and solve difficult problems. Uh, and then he makes the same promise to him. If you're able to interpret this and tell me what it means, uh, I'll make you powerful. I'll clothe you with purple uh, and you'll, you'll rule as third uh, in the kingdom. Verse 17, uh, then Daniel answered and said to the king, let your gifts remain with you, okay? Daniel is not interested in playing the political game. Daniel is not interested in a position of power. Daniel doesn't care about the purple robes. He doesn't care about that. Uh, or give your rewards to someone else, he says. However, I will read the writing to the king and make its interpretation known. O king, the most high God granted the kingdom, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Okay, so here's, here's the opportunity that he's really going to have. Um, Daniel's an old guy at this point. Belshazzar's probably a fairly young man uh, relatively to Daniel. And he's kind, of, he's kind of doing that grandfatherly thing. Let me tell you a thing or two, son. Uh, and he, he reminds him about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. God gave the king to Nebuchadnezzar and, and the, the glory and the splendor of, of all of it, but at some point he, he got 
basically in modern vernacular, he got too big for his britches, he got too proud, and God humbled him. And he reminds him, he, he, he relates to him the story that he had to go out into the wilderness and he was eating grass and all of those things until such a time as he came back and came to his senses. Okay, so he's telling him uh, this story in verse, uh, verse 20. But when his heart was raised up and his spirit became so strong that he became, uh, beh- behaved arrogantly. Okay, so when that happened, he was punished. And then the end, uh, verse 21, until he knew uh, that the Most High God is the powerful ruler over the kingdom and, man- and of mankind and that he sets up over it whomever he wishes. Okay, so he reminds him. And then verse 23, here's the, the moment. Yet you, his son... Belshazzar, have not made your, whole, your heart lowly, even though you knew all of this. So, yes, he, he's doing that grandfatherly, mentor kind of thing. Let me remind you about some things, young person. This is what happened. And then he says, and you knew all of this, and you still haven't humbled yourself. You haven't taken advantage of the opportunity. You haven't learned from someone else's lessons and then he could also have probably said, and when this, this attack that you know is coming, you, you learned about it, you didn't humble yourself at that point. Instead, you basically spat in the face of the God of the Hebrews that Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your predecessor, at least praised multiple times. You didn't humble yourself then. And in essence, what's going to happen is now because you've missed these opportunities for whatever reason, because you were drunk with power, or maybe because of Daniel chapter 5, you were drunk literally, you missed the opportunity to humble yourself, God is about to humble you. Now again, it's of note. It's important for us to remember, what did Daniel know before he goes into Belshazzar? What did Daniel know? Uh, Daniel knew that Isaiah the prophet had prophesied 150 years before this that Babylon would fall at the hands of a ruler named Cyrus. Cyrus is the one who will take over Babylon with the Medes and Persians. You read about that in Isaiah chapter 13 and chapter 45. He knew also that Jeremiah the prophet had said that it would happen during a feast. Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 39. Jeremiah, so, so Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesy not only when it would happen, the, the general idea of what would be going on, but who it would be, not, not, not a country of people, but a specific name of a ruler, okay? Now, that's going to come up later, and we're going to talk about this more next week, but Cyrus is going to be the one who's going to be king of the power who comes over and takes over Babylon. That is what happens historically. We know that. Also, uh, Jeremiah says that it's going, to be, uh, it's going to happen in the midst of a feast. Historians say that on that October 12th date that we talked about earlier, the entire city of Babylon was partying. Yes, Belshazzar was throwing a party for his thousands, but everyone in the city was partying. That's why it was so easy for the Medes and Persians to come and take over on that night because nobody was focusing on, hey, there's an army coming to attack us. They were calling out to their gods. Maybe some of them were having a last hurrah, okay? Uh, but historically, what Jeremiah says, Daniel knew this. So he's coming into this situation with, with extra ammo that, that Belshazzar doesn't know or doesn't care to know. And he's telling him these, these important things, okay? Uh, verse 22 again. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, uh, have not made your heart lowly even though you knew all of this. But you have raised yourself up against the Lord of heaven and they... And they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, of gold and of bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see nor hear or know. But the God in whose hands are your life, breath and all your ways you have not honored. 
What is this guy saying? He's saying something again like a, a grandfather would say, a father would say. You're reaching out to all of these other things that cannot help you. And the one thing that can help you, you're not reaching out to him. You had an opportunity, Belshazzar, to humble yourself. In this moment, you could have humbled yourself to God. But instead, you did the exact opposite. You spat in his face by using these holy vessels from the temple of God and just drinking out of them to get yourself more and more drunk. Verse 24. Uh, Then the hand was sent from him, and the writing was inscribed. And again, this is words that I will butcher probably. Now, the writing uh, that was inscribed, meaning, meaning, tickle, euphorsen. This is the interpretation of the message. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and put it to an end. God does this with all kingdoms. Did you know that? God does this with all kingdoms, with all powers. He decides when they will come to power and when that power will fail. God is in control. Remember, all the way back in Daniel chapter 1, it looked like the God of the Hebrews had no power. But time and time and time again, God has power. God is in control. Belshazzar is learning this. Uh, Tikal, uh, you have been weighed on the scales and found lacking. Uh, I thought this was interesting. The book that I'm studying along with this, one of the books I'm studying with this, uh, said this idea of being weighed on the scale, or really that's a, a picture of judgment, right? Uh, you know, there's this standard. You're being weighed according to the standard. Uh, it says for uh, Belshazzar, you've been, you've been weighed and found wanting. You don't measure up. Okay, but this was the this was the uh, the the thought that I, that I read that was interesting. Um, judgment for the individual happens in the hereafter. There's a judgment day, right? That's going to come. Judgment for the individual happens in the hereafter, but judgment for the nation happens in the here and now. That's an important lesson for us to learn, isn't it? Judgment for the individual happened in the hereafter, but judgment for the nation. Biblically, time and time again, historically, time and time again, judgment for ungodly, unrighteous nations happens in the here and now. And we certainly need to learn that lesson ourselves and be aware of that. Uh, then he says, uh, Paris, or the, the examination, examination of uh, Euphorson, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Uh, and then interesting, verse 29, so he, he interprets it. What does the writing mean? Uh, God has numbered your kingdom. He, he brought you to power. He's taking you out of power because you've been weighed and found wanting. You haven't been doing the things that God had expected you to do as a a powerful person. And now the kingdom's going to be taken from you. Okay, verse 29. Then Belshazzar said the word and and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him uh, that he would be third most powerful in the kingdom. Okay, that doesn't really matter. The kingdom's about to fall, right? Doesn't really matter a whole lot. Uh, that not a not a great deal, but that still it does happen. Now this is again interesting. Uh, think back to um, Daniel chapter two when the king has a dream and Daniel's able to interpret the dream. What does the king Nebuchadnezzar do? He praises the God of Daniel. Right? He says no one should say anything bad about the God of Daniel. Okay. Uh, in Daniel uh, chapter three, fiery furnace, uh, when. Hanani Mishon, he's mad at Hanani Mishon Azariah, right? He, he doesn't like them at all at that point because they're not bowing down to his golden image. He throws them in the fire. There's a fourth person in there. They come out. They're not touched at all by the fire. What's King Nebuchadnezzar do? He praises the God of Hanani Mishon Azariah. He says good things about him. He says nobody should say anything bad about this king. Did, did Belshazzar not have the same opportunity? Could he not in this moment have said, wow, Daniel, that's awesome. Your God must be great. Yeah, I, I praise the God of the Hebrews. I, I don't know. 
But I wonder in that instance if, if he would have humbled himself. Even at that point, could God have done something different? Certainly God could have. Would he? I don't know. But he had the opportunity, even again, to humble himself like his predecessor. Not a godly man, not a great man. Nebuchadnezzar was, was not no follower of God, the God of the Hebrews. But he recognized the greatness of the God of the Hebrews at the very least. And here Belteshazzar does not do that. Um, and then verse 30, that same night, some October 12th or somewhere around that in the year 539 um, B.C. The same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean uh, king was killed. Uh, it's said historically that he was found by uh, some uh, soldiers of the Medes and Persians uh, attempting to commit suicide, and he was stopped doing that, and instead he was executed publicly. Doesn't really matter, but an interesting side note. Here, here's the thing. So take with you. It's been a longer lesson than I intended for it to be. Take with you what I said at first. Don't miss an opportunity to humble yourself because God will if you do. Just be humble. And I, I know that in some ways that sounds really easy. And, you know, if we can, we can brag about our humbleness, then we're not really very humble. Uh, but when you, the next time somebody says something great about you, try to think about the, the most humble thing that you can, the most humble situation or thought process that you can have, thing that you can say. Try, try to be humble. Praise God. What if you just said that? Man, you're really good at that. Praise God. I'm glad God gave me that talent. Man, you did a great job on that. Praise God. I'm glad he gave me the opportunity to do that. Uh, Something like that would be good. And then verse 31, this is when we come into some problems, okay? Uh, We talked about Isaiah. We talked about Jeremiah, uh, specifically Isaiah saying that Cyrus would be the ruler, the king who would take over the Babylonians. Well, here's a problem that we're going to talk about more next week. Verse 31, so Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. Well, where is Cyrus? I thought it was supposed to be Cyrus. The Bible says it's Darius. We'll save that one for next week. Okay? Uh, so, uh, tonight, uh, we will go ahead and offer an invitation. and want to encourage you. Uh, tonight, if you are, are struggling with pride, it's a very humbling thing to come forward and to let people know that you're struggling, isn't it? Well, God wants us to humble ourselves. Uh, so, if, if you need to do that in, in whatever way you're struggling, in whatever help you may need, uh, don't miss the opportunity to humble yourself. Because if you do, God won't. I would encourage you to make sure in your life, whatever you may be struggling with or dealing with, know that it is a humbling thing, but you know that you have a family that loves you here that will help you in that. And we all have things like that that we struggle with. If you have any needs, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.